Have you ever had a blockage in your life? I'm not asking you if you've ever been blocked in your life because knowing some of you, I know the answer to that. Um, But have you ever had a blockage in some area of your life. In a previous church, we moved into a rectory. It was an old house, and every sort of month or two, the pipes would get blocked, and the toilets would overflow or almost overflow, and those guys from Dino Rod earn every penny uh, that, they, that uh, they deserve. We used to bring them out all the time, and it was just, it was an old house with old pipes, and, and it was blocked, and then we moved after three years to a new house, and the pipes got blocked there as well. Now, I'm not blaming anyone. I just know it wasn't me. Uh, we'll blame Elijah because he's not in the room. Won't be at Bex. We'll blame Elijah. Um, yeah, we'll blame Elijah. But uh, eventually, after a while, we were paying 100 euros for this guy to come out all the time. With, you know, and, with, and in the end, uh, he put the camera down it. And it just, there was this little ridge in the pipe. And it was uh, just trapping uh, stuff that was coming through. And it was blocking it. And so in the end, I went and, and, and invested uh, in a set of the, the rods myself. And so every month or two, I'd be out the back lifting up the drain. Uh, some of you can't even imagine that. I promise you, I did to get the rubber gloves on, lifting up the drain, clearing the blockage. And it was just, there was this beautiful moment of gratification when you started to see the water flowing freely through the system again. When your pipes are blocked, you need to clear them. For some of you, maybe you've got sinus infections. I I would struggle with sinus infections. And when you have a sinus infection, does anybody want to confess this? Has anybody ever done a nasal rinse? Nobody's going to, yeah. Thank you, Stephen, my brother. Um, Isn't it wonderful? There's something very, uh, very special about uh, squirting water up one nostril and seeing what comes out the other one into the sink. Enjoy your Sunday dinner, folks. Um, and, uh, but there's something very uh, wonderful about having that blockage removed. Perhaps it's not as uh, serious as that. Perhaps it is a blockage in uh, your, your vacuum at home. Uh, all those men who do all the hoovering at home, uh, sometimes you're not getting the suction from the vacuum that you want and you realize their stuff has got trapped in it. But other blockages are more serious. Blockages in your artery, blockages in your windpipe. Uh, our son seems to have blockages in his ear right now because he's got selective hearing. Um, every other sentence is what, what, what? And then unless it's something that he wants, unless you say there's caramel squares in the kitchen and it's amazing he could hear that from 14 miles away. Um, But uh, blockages need to get unblocked. Why am I talking to you about blockages? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because this week, as I began to think about prayer and fasting, I was going to just do a talk on fasting. I was going to rework an old talk that I'd done in 2020. And and God kept directing me as the week went on to another passage in Genesis 26. And it took me a while to figure out what it had to do with fasting. Fasting, but it's a passage about unblocking. It's a passage about removing things that were preventing the flow that was needed to sustain life in God's people. And so let's look at Genesis 26 for a couple of minutes today. Genesis 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. And my first point is this famine. Or fasting brings new direction. Or I could have said fasting brings movement. Fasting brings change. 
So there's a famine in Canaan. Abraham, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. Isaac is one of them, and his son is affected by the famine. And as I first read this, I thought, what has this got to do with fasting? And as I continued to focus on it, it became clear. When there is a famine in the land, what is there a shortage of? Food. And what does that mean? People get hungry. That's like fasting. In fasting, we are removing food and we are feeling hungry. The only difference is that a fast is a voluntary starvation, whereas in a famine, you don't have a choice. So let me just explain what fasting is or what fasting isn't. First of all, fasting is not just going without food for a period of time. That's called starvation or that's called dieting or deprivation. Fasting is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. You know, when I used to preach on fasting 10, 15 years ago, nobody fasted really anywhere. And now fasting has kind of become cool, hasn't it? It's, uh, people talk about intermittent fasting or the 18-6 window where they don't eat for 18 hours and then they, they do all their feeding in six hours and they say it's healthy and it detoxes your body and it resets your system and it, it helps you lose weight. And fasting is kind of cool. And that's wonderful if you do that. And fasting has so many health benefits. It's amazing how uh, thousands of years later they discovered that the Bible actually was right when it told you how to live. Um, and now fasting has become this, this big thing, intermittent fasting. But fasting is, in, in biblical terms is different from just fasting for health or for weight loss, although it will do that. Fasting has a spiritual purpose. It is a, it is a spiritual blessing. It is a spiritual component to it. Now, one of the things I often get asked is, do we have to fast from food? And the answer is, Yes and no. In biblical terms, fasting always involves giving up food for a period of time. We don't read about Jesus giving up his Xbox or the apostles giving up social media for a week. Now, if you can't fast from food for health reasons, and I don't just mean that you get hungry, um, Giving up technology, giving up TV, giving up social media for a week is a wonderful thing. And even if you are fasting from food, that is a good thing. But if you can give up food for some part of the week, that is really what biblical fasting is. It's hard. You get hungry. That's why we don't do it that often. But that's also why it is so effective. When you fast, what you're doing is you're bringing your flesh under control. Something that is so natural and instinctive for you to eat every time you feel the slightest pang of hunger, you're telling your body, no, you're not in control of me. I am in control of you, and I am submitting my desires to God. And while I want to eat right now, I am crucifying the flesh. And for those of you who struggle with discipline or struggle with bad habits or struggle with some addiction or some area of your life that you just can't get control of, fasting is a powerful way to bring that area under subjection to the Holy Spirit. So fasting from food crucifies the flesh. It submits the flesh to the Spirit of God, and it brings our appetites under control. Because most of us have no idea what hunger is. 
You know, like you have breakfast and you'll say by half eleven, I'm starving, I'm starving. Or your kids will, you know, they'll come in from school, I'm starving. You ate an hour ago, son, you know, but I'm, st- I'm famished, I'm going to die. No, you're not, you're not. You'll be fine if you don't eat for a few more hours. But food plays such a significant role in our lives that when we deprive ourselves of it, it actually shifts something within us. It, it stirs something within us. It provokes a reaction within us. In this case, hunger caused Isaac to move from a place where he was settled and comfortable and secure. He left that place and he went to a new place called Gerar. His lack of food repositioned him. And I have discovered something, that God in fasting moves us. He changes us. He repositions us. He reorients our lives God moves us by removing some stuff from us. You see, God not only guides us by what he gives us, he guides us by what he withholds from us. It takes a minute to think about that. God, when he gives us something we believe, he provides for us, he's guiding us, he's leading us, he's directing us. But when he withholds something from us, he's also guiding us. And when we withhold food from ourselves, it creates space for God to guide us and lead us. You know, we love open doors. We love provision. We love green lights. We love when God gives us something new. But sometimes God says, I want to withhold something from you. And what I am withholding from you, in this case, it was food for Isaac, what I am withholding from you is as much a sign of my protection and my care and my direction as my provision is at other times. And I have found that in my own life, and you have too, that when God withholds something from you, very often it feels annoying, it feels uncomfortable. When a door closes, when you hit a wall, when it's red lights, when you don't get what you're praying for, it feels like God has withheld something when actually what he's doing is he's directing you. There's, there's something I say often that if God hadn't closed some doors, I would have spent ro- years in rooms I would have never meant to be in. If God hadn't closed some doors, I would have spent years in rooms I was never meant to be in. I've shared this before, but for years there was a church I prayed for. I prayed every time I drove past it, God, would you give me that church? Would you let me lead that church? Lord, I want to lead that church. And during our transition year in 2016, 2017, that church became available. And it felt like it was green lights, and it felt, and then the door closed on us. And it felt painful at the time. It dented my pride a little bit. But you know what? I used to pray every time I drove past that church that God would give me it. Every time I drive past that place now, I say, thank you, God, that you didn't give me it. And it's no disrespect whatsoever to them. But it's a sense that God withheld something from me because he was leading me somewhere else. The old country song, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. God sometimes withholds a relationship from you because he has something or someone else better for you. It felt, it has felt for a while that God has been withholding a building from us, but I believe it's because he's got something else for us. And in some area of your life, it might feel like there's lack right now. It might feel like there's not what you've prayed for. It might feel like there's a bit of emptiness. Maybe God is using that 
withholding to redirect you. And maybe this week as you fast, as you, as you withhold food from yourself, it will be a time of God redirecting you, repositioning you, reorienting your life. For some of you, it could mean moving house, a physical move, moving jobs. It could be to do with your relationships. But I believe that as we hunger for food this week, that hunger is going to provoke us to move in some areas of our life. It's going to bring change. It's going to bring new direction in our lives, physical and spiritual. Verse 2. Fasting helps you to hear from God. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. So as soon as Isaac moves, God speaks to him. We don't know how it happened, maybe a vision, maybe a dream, maybe it was an angel. We don't know. All we know is in that place of hunger and that place of moving in response to hunger, God shows up and God reveals himself to Isaac. God speaks to him and God gives him very clear and specific instructions. God says to him, do not go to Egypt, stay here. One of the things I believe and I know it to be true in my own life, is that when I fast, it makes me more spiritually sensitive. I hear God more clearly. It it removes a lot of the distractions from my life. There is something about fasting. God says, when you draw near to me, I will draw near to you. God sees that you're fasting. He sees you're praying. And so he comes close and he speaks clearly to you. I believe some of you are going to hear God this week. You're going to hear God speak. For some of you, you've been struggling with decisions. You've been struggling to know what to do. You've been struggling for direction. And God is going to bring clarity and direction into your life. He's going to bring freshness. He's going to bring a new sense of his presence and his power. He's going to unblock your spiritual ears. He's going to open your spiritual eyes. He's going to increase your discernment. As you give him time and space, he will come and he will meet with you. Some of you have been praying very for very clear and specific direction. Should I do this? Should I move here? Should I go here? This week, I believe God is going to answer those prayers. For some of you, God is going to guide you specifically to something that isn't even on your radar right now. It's something you're not praying about, but God is going to open a door. He's going to connect you. He's going to, uh, he's going to speak to you and direct you into something that you haven't even been praying about. We read this in Acts 13 too. When they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The early church fasting and prayer was part of their daily rhythm and routine. And for us, as we fast and as we pray, we're going to hear clearly from God. He's going to speak about an area of your life. Back to Genesis, back to Isaac. God says to him, don't go to Egypt. Egypt in scripture is this. It's the world's system. Egypt represents the world's system. Anytime there's lack of provision, the people always go to Egypt. Remember with Joseph, where, where did his dad Jacob and his brothers go when there was famine in the land? They went to Egypt. And we see that throughout scripture. Egypt is a picture of the world's system. Going to Egypt is a natural and normal response to a particular problem. It's the instinctive place we go to when we have a need in our lives. And we all have those places. 
when we're feeling hungry for something, when we're feeling empty, when we're feeling discouraged or disappointed, or when we're feeling bored or when things don't work out. Instinctively, we all turn somewhere for sustenance. We turn somewhere for relief. We turn somewhere for comfort. It could be to someone. It could be to your phone. It could be to something on your phone. It could be to a place or a person. But we instinctively turn somewhere to have that need met. But the thing is, when we turn to those places, it meets our need temporarily, but we're hungry again. But what I believe this week is instead of going to Egypt, instead of going to the place we instinctively go, God is going to redirect our appetites. God is going to stir something up. He's going to say to us, I don't want you to go to that place anymore. I don't want you to do that thing that you've been doing for so long. I want to break that habit. I want to break that cycle in your life. And I want to point you to new sources of living water and provision. It could be a habit, an addiction. It could be something good like the work, like your work or your gym. It could be something destructive like pornography or drugs. But God wants to be your source. He wants to be the one that you go to to get your deepest needs met because those other places can never satisfy. He wants your hunger to be for him more than you hunger for anything or anyone else, that we would go to him for the things that only he can give us. And so God is going to draw you deeper into him this week. John Piper, a pastor in the state, says this, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. Next point, fasting brings rewards. Verses three to six. Stay in this land for a while. This is God speaking to Isaac. Stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and I will give them all these lands and through your offspring all nations on the earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands and my decrees and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. Fasting brings rewards. God says to Isaac, Isaac, stay here and I will bless you. He then reminds Isaac of the promises he gave Isaac's father, that through Abraham and now through Isaac, a nation would be birthed. Through Abraham and through Isaac, uh, uh, the world would be blessed, that God would bless them with, with seed, with, with offspring, with children, and with wealth, and with abundance, and through them, they would be a blessing to the whole earth. And I believe that fasting is one of the ways that God releases blessing into our lives. That God reminds us he is a covenant-keeping God. And that God has given you promises through the years. And God has spoken to you at different times. And maybe you've seen some element of fulfillment in those words. Maybe you're still waiting for God. Maybe it's about a family member that you've been praying for to, to see come to know Jesus. Maybe it's about a job or provision or, or getting married or whatever that is. That God has spoken to you at some stage, but it hasn't happened and you've put it on the back burner or you've forgotten about it. This is a week to take down those prophecies and those promises, to dust them off and to start to speak them and declare them over your life again. This is a time when you remind God of what he has spoken to you. Not 
not because he's forgotten, but just because it's good for you to remind yourself. And start to speak what God has spoken, the promises, the prophecies, the words he has given you over the years. God speaks to Isaac and says, the word I gave your father, I'm given to you. I will bless you. You will see my goodness. You will see my unfulfilled promises coming to pass. Now, I probably won't feel like that in the middle of a fast. You will want to eat your own arm at some stage in the week, okay? I find days two and three particularly difficult. I want to give up so badly, and yet every time I've ever done this, by the end of the week, I have felt like just God has come close, that something has shifted in my life, and I'm so thankful for what I've seen God do. And so I'm expectant as I enter this week that I may not see the results this week, but here's what fasting is. Fasting in January is planting seeds that grow in the rest of the year. When you plant a seed, you don't see something grow immediately. But when you fast and pray and commit time to the Lord in January, it's the first fruits month, what you're doing is you're planting seeds, and you may not see those seeds grow next week, but as you go throughout the year, you will begin to see those seeds flourish and bring a harvest into your life. Jesus actually promised that fasting would bring results and rewards to those who practice them. Matthew 5, 18, Jesus said this. When, but when you fast, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. And it's in the context of three things. Jesus talks about giving, prayer, and fasting. And in, both, in all three of them, he says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast. In other words, the normal Christian life, according to Jesus, involves giving, praying, and fasting. And he says this, that your father sees what you do in secret. He sees that behind closed doors you're not eating. And it says he rewards you. He rewards you. I used to feel uncomfortable with this whole concept of rewards because I felt like it took away from grace. You know, we believe that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. And rewards to me felt like works, that God was, that you were earning God's favor, that you were earning God's blessing. But the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized that uh, that isn't the case. Fasting doesn't make God love you more. Fasting doesn't make you more holy or right with God than anyone else. It doesn't manipulate God or twist his arm into giving you what you want. And it doesn't make you a better Christian than anyone else. Fasting doesn't make you right with God. The blood of Jesus makes you right with God. But, but, fasting according to Jesus brings rewards from God. Those of you who are parents might understand this. You know, I, I was blessed to grow up in a home where I, I knew I was loved. I never doubted I was loved. I was told always I was loved. So that was never an issue. But my parents did something. When I had major exams, whatever stage of life, maybe GCSEs or A-levels, they would say, Craig, for every A you get, we will give you a certain amount of money. And for every B you get, we will give you a certain amount of money. And they did the same with my brother. And, uh, and whether I had passed the exams or failed them all, their love for me never changed, but the rewards changed. Their love for me was constant. If I had gotten nine Ds, they mightn't have been that happy, okay. Um, but their love for me overall wouldn't have changed, but the rewards would have been different. 
And when we fast and when we give and when we pray, it doesn't change God's love for us, but it changes the rewards that we experience. God loves every single believer, every child of God the same. But not every Christian receives the same rewards. That's a whole other teaching in itself. But it is right throughout Scripture that the eyes of the Lord search throughout the earth and he's searching for those who diligently seek him. And the Bible says that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He says exactly the same about giving in prayer. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. The biblical principle principle is this. My wife is a speech therapist. I feel a session coming on this afternoon. (laughs) Private devotion brings public rewards. You see, we are a world where everything's public. We put everything on social media. Everything goes out there. There are some things that God wants you to keep private between you and him. Private devotion devotion that you do behind the scenes. You know what I love about David? God said he's a man after my own heart. How did God know? He was behind the scenes. He was in the wilderness. He was in the pasture. But God saw his devotion. Private devotion brings public rewards. The King James Version says this, thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. When you serve, when you give, when you sacrifice, when you fast, when you help the poor, when you show generosity, whatever that is, when you do that secretly and privately, God says, I will reward you publicly. What did that blessing look like in Isaac's life? Verses 12 to 16. Isaac planted crops in the land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in his time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful for us. Fasting releases God's provision into our lives. In a year of famine, his hunger moves him. God speaks to him. He acts in obedience. He sows seed. And in the, same se- in the same year as he sows the seed, he reaps a hundredfold harvest. Why, it tells us, because the Lord blessed him. The Lord blessed him. Now, he still had to sow the seeds, but the Lord blessed the work of his hand. And I believe that this week, God wants to bless some of you in the areas of provision. He wants to bring breakthrough in areas of provision in your life. You know, in a famine, the greatest need was food. For you, it might not be that. It could be something else. And I'm not going to go through all the things that God could provide for you because the list would be endless. But every person here has some need in their life that we need God to break through in, that we need provision that we need God to step in, that we need something from God that we can't get from ourselves. In a famine, they couldn't get food, but God blessed them, and the food was available. And each of us have some area of lack or need, and God is going to do something in that. You know, let me say something here. I don't subscribe to the hard prosperity gospel, okay? 
I don't subscribe to everybody should be millionaires and have a Rolls Royce and blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, you know, confess it and possess it, whatever that is. I don't believe in that. But can I say this? I don't subscribe to a poverty gospel either. And in Northern Ireland, we are much more comfortable with poverty than prosperity. And I don't believe that God's desire is for his church to be pitiful and penniless and broke. How can we be a blessing to the world if we have nothing to give? How can we help missions organizations? How can we run things to to reach people with the gospel if we're having to put on car boot sales and car washes every other week just to keep the lights on? That is not God's will for his church. But what I have discovered here and in many places is that we're fine when, when, there's pros, or when there's poverty in people's lives, but as God blesses them, as God begins to increase them, as God begins to enlarge them, we begin to get suspicious. We begin to get a little bit like, huh, who do they think they are? And they're getting a bit above their station. There's this mentality that we have here where we would prefer poverty than prosperity, we'd prefer shabby than opulent, we'd prefer small than big. The reality is this, God loves to bless his people in many ways and various ways, and some of that will be material and some won't. But when we see God's blessing on people materially, we should rejoice with them. It is one of my greatest joys when one of you comes and tells me you've got a new job or you've got a new house or you've got a new car. I love that. I love to see you being blessed. I love to see God's favor on your life. And I believe that as I rejoice in you receiving from God, that positions me to receive from God. But I have met people who whenever anybody else gets something that they haven't got, the muttering starts. Who do they think they are? There is something that needs to break in this culture where we rejoice when we see God's blessing. Now, I'm not saying money is a sign always of God's blessing. There's rich people who don't love God at all, and there's poor people who absolutely love God so much. But when we see people prosper and be blessed in the church, let's rejoice with them. Let's say, I'm so glad your business is doing well. I pray that it does double next year. I am so glad that you got that promotion and work. I am so glad that you got that new car. You know, when I got, will I? Okay, I will. Um, you know, when I got, I got a new car about 14 months ago. My previous one was 12 years old. That one, when I got it, was seven years old. It's now, no, it was eight years old, actually, when I got it. It's now nine years old. I got an email from someone who used to be part of this. I mean, this was their exit email. Um, and they had many lovely things to say about me. Um, And I know who it was. It was anonymous, but I know. But uh, one of the things he said, and who do you think you are getting a new car? Honestly. And and who do you think you are with your fancy house up the North Coast? I have never owned a house in my life anywhere. But she resented, she resented that I'd moved from a 12-year-old car to an 8-year-old car. That was a bit nicer. That is a that is a spirit that needs to, that is a poverty demonic spirit that needs and I'm glad they left <laughs> I didn't tell them to leave but I'm glad they left because once you have that poverty spirit it spreads this is not a church that has it 
I be, b- believe me. But some people have struggled with this, and we have got to break that. And you know where it starts? It starts with rejoicing when God blesses other people. Even if it's an area that you haven't been blessed in yet, if you are struggling to conceive and your friend is having a child, bless them. If you're struggling to find a partner or a husband or a wife and your friend gets married, rejoice with them. Don't mutter behind their back. If you're struggling with finances and somebody else gets financially blessed, pray double on them. You know, when, when Emmanuel Porter Down opened their new building there, I couldn't wait to go to the opening on a Sunday night because we want a building. I loved their building. I wanted to rejoice with them who had got a building before we had got a new building. That positions you to receive from God. Proverbs 10.22 says this, The blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. A church with a poverty spirit can never grow because it will only attract small-minded, negative people. A church, it doesn't have to be a wealthy church, but a church that breaks the poverty spirit, God will bless with increase because he knows that there are big people there who are willing to move forward into whatever he leads them into. Let's keep moving. Verses 17 18. So Isaac moved away from there and camped in the valley of, valley, valley of Gerar where he settled. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. The next point is this, and I'm nearly done. Fasting removes spiritual blockages. Fasting removes spiritual blockages. So the Philistines, we are told, envy the prosperity and the blessing of God on Isaac's life. And so we're told that he moves. He moves down the road a bit. Why? Because someone with a generous spirit never, never wants to be around people with a stingy spirit. And he discovers some wells that his father Abraham had dug many years before. But since then, the Philistines had covered them up, had blocked them up. Why? Because of envy. And when we read about wells in the Bible, we don't really understand. Wells were a source of life. Water was a source of life. We just turn on our taps at home and we have water. We never think anything of it. In that culture in the Middle East where it was dry and barren, you, you depended upon water, not only for you to live, but to grow crops and to raise livestock. And so water was so important. And so when you found a piece of land, you dug, and it wasn't like we have a drill today, you dug with hard labor, and you were trying to strike water somewhere, you were trying to strike a reservoir, you were trying to strike flowing water so that you could water your crops, so that you could uh, raise animals. And where there was a well, there was wealth. Where there was a well, people would live around it and gather around it, and the well became a meeting place. Isaac found his wife at a well. And we see that throughout Scripture. Different people met their wives at a well. Jesus met a woman at a well and ministered to her. A, the well was a meeting place. It was a central hub in the community. But the wells that Abraham had dug had been blocked up by the Philistines. They had thrown dirt into them. They had thrown animal carcasses into them. They had thrown rubbish into them. All sorts of filth had been put into these wells that had been dug to sustain life. And therefore, the source of life was blocked and the pure water was contaminated. And I think that's an image of what can happen in our own hearts and in our own lives. 
that there's this flow of God. If you're born again, if you've, been, uh, if you've if given your life to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit lives within you. It says this in John 7. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believe in him. So the Bible says if you're a Christian, you have a flow of pure water within you. But here's what can happen. That water can become contaminated. We can allow things into our hearts. We can allow impurities into our life. We can allow filth. We can allow things to get in. And if we, do, if we go without confessing and repenting and we don't turn away from those things, those things accumulate, the rubbish builds up, and the well in our life gets blocked. And the flow of the Spirit in our lives is not what it should be because a contamination has come in. And some of us know that that's the case in our lives. We have lost our zeal for God. We have lost our passion for God. There used to be such a sense of God flowing in us and God flowing through us, but that doesn't seem... And it's just because we've just allowed some stuff in here to accumulate. We've allowed some rubbish to build up, some silt to build up, some, some, some dirt to build up, some impurities to come in. You see, the enemy can't rob you of God's promises, but he can seek to cut off the source of life by contamination and buildup of dirt. I've seen it in churches, churches where the spirit was flowing, churches where I used to go to be nourished and, and refreshed and revived and fed, and something got into that church and the water got tainted. And you know, you can have the purest water, but when it flows through a dirty pipe, the water gets tainted. And when you go into a place, sometimes you just sense there's just something off. And I, I have been in places where I used to get nourished and refreshed, and I go in now, and it's like this just the, 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 just had rubbish come in, and they've had dirt come in, and they've had impurity come in. And they're doing the same things, but the flow of life has been cut off. Things that should never have been allowed in have contaminated the presence of God. And so as we go through this week, I believe this is a week where God wants to do some purifying in us. He wants to release us from some things that we've allowed to build up in our lives. He wants to clean us. He wants to remove some impurities. He wants to remove some of those blockages in our hearts. He wants to get the dino rod and get down into our soul and to clear some of those blockages that have built up that's causing us not to, to be as passionate for God as we used to be. And so let me just ask you, is there anything that's blocking the flow of God in your life? Are there places where there used to be freedom and purity, where there's just dirt and contamination and impurity? God wants you to live clean. God wants you to live free. God wants you to enjoy all the blessings and benefits that Jesus' blood bought you. But if you're continually allowing dirt and filth into your heart, you cannot enjoy the freedom that Christ came to give you. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free, Galatians 5 says. Therefore, do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Christ set you free, but you can allow slavery to come back into your life by allowing things. Could be gossip, could be porn, could be impurity, could be addictions, could be complaining, negativity, envy, bitterness, unforgiveness, stinginess, whatever it is. Those things block the blessings of God from flowing into you and flowing through you. And God wants the pure water of his spirit to flow in and through your life. The Bible says this, Proverbs 4, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. The NIV puts it like this, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. When you have impurities and things in your heart that shouldn't be there, 
bitterness, resentment, anger, unforgiveness, lust, whatever that is, the flow from your life isn't what God would want it to be. And so this is a week, as we pray and fast, to do a wee bit of self-examination. I think fasting is a bit like rebooting your phone. You know when your phone starts glitching and there's two buttons that you can hold down and you get the black, at least on an iPhone, you get the black screen and then an apple appears and it reboots it and tends to work well. I think fasting is a bit of a spiritual reboot for some of us. And some of us need that. Some of us have just too much stuff going on. We've had too much stuff into our lives and God just says, I want to reboot you. I want to refresh your heart. Let's finish. Last, last verses. Isaac's servants, 19 to 22. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with those of Isaac and said, the water is ours. So he named the well Essek because they disputed with him. Then he dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. And my last point this morning is this, fasting brings breakthrough. So Isaac moves on and he digs a well, but the Philistines dispute it. The herdsmen quarrel over it. He digs another one and another one and, and, and it leads to more tension. And he moves again and he digs one and then he finds a place to settle. He finds a place to flourish. He finds a space where he can live. But I think it's really interesting to look at the names of these wells. The first well we're told was called Essek, which means dispute, argument, strife, or contention. The second one was called Sitna, which means opposition, hostility, hatred, or enmity. And the third one, the last one, was called Rehoboth, which means open space, broad places, or enlargement. So Isaac had to persevere through opposition. Isaac had to persevere through obstacles. Isaac had to persevere through enmity and hostility and strife. He had to persevere through disputes and arguments and contention. And he had to keep pressing on. And as he pressed on and persevered, God brought him into a place, an open space, a broad place of enlargement. He had to push through to his breakthrough. The enemy kept hounding him. The enemy kept trying to shut him down. The enemy kept trying to discourage him, but he wasn't put off. He kept pressing and he kept digging. He kept pressing and he kept digging. And eventually God brought him into a spacious place. And the enemy will hound you and the enemy will put up obstacles and roadblocks and the enemy will put in opposition and contention and strife and it will feel like it's just one thing after another after another and you get weary and you get exhausted. But here's the thing, the enemy wants you to give up. Isaac didn't give up. Isaac didn't say, well, I'm just fed up with this. I'm going home again. No, Isaac kept persevering. He kept pressing through. He kept digging and God brought him into a spacious, broad place where he could settle. Don't allow things that are difficult, disappointing, painful, opposition, obstacles to cause you to shrink back and stop pursuing God's will for you. The enemy knows that the best thing he can do is just to wear you out, to get you to give up. He can't rob you of God's promises. You know, the Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? Do you know what the answer is? You. 
If God is for me, who can be against me? Me. By giving up. By allowing disappointment to cause me to pack up my bag and go home. And the enemy kept pushing Isaac, thinking he was pushing him away. But here's the thing. The enemy was only pushing him deeper into God's promise. He was pushing him into a broader space and a better place than he was originally going to settle. And the enemy was trying to break him, but God was giving him breakthrough. The enemy was trying to block him, but God was blessing him. The the enemy put up obstacles and opposition, but God provided opportunity and open spaces. The enemy wanted to bring him into containment, but God brought him into enlargement. And so as I finish, let me ask you, where do you need breakthrough right now? What area of your life do you need God to move? Where, is there blo- where have there been blockages and obstacles and discouragement and opposition? Personally, where do you need breakthrough? Where do you need God to intervene? Is it your health, your marriage, your singleness, your finances, your job, your home, your family, your relationship with God, your, your, your children, your habits, your struggles? Where do you need God to intervene right now? I believe this is a week as you pray and fast that God is going to move in that area. And as a church... Where do we need God to intervene? You know, in the early years of this church, the early stage had moved around a lot. God provided this building for us, and we're so thankful for it. We've been here, I think, about eight years, but we need more space. We need more space to grow. And so this week, one of our major focuses is going to be for breakthrough in a building. Whether we build on this site, that God would speak to us and show us that we're to do that, or whether he opens up another site. We want to hear the voice of God. We want to see the provision of God. We want to experience the breakthrough of God. We want God to speak and show us what the next step is. We want an open space and a wider place. We want a new flow of God spurred in here. We want a pure flow of the presence of God. We want to see his provision and his blessing. And so this isn't just about fasting. It's fasting and prayer together that we would move the heart and the hand of God. Fasting on its own is good. Prayer on its own is good. Fasting and prayer together are incredible. The enemy hates it. If if prayer is a rifle, prayer and fasting is a tank. It just just, brings a new level of power to your prayer. So can I encourage you? I just want to finish with a quote that I read. I was reading a book about fasting by a Baptist pastor called Ronnie Floyd. And this is what he said. The gateway to God's supernatural power, or sorry, is prayer and fasting. The body of Christ must recognize these disciplines for what God created them to be. They are the gateway to spiritual breakthroughs. Revival will come and the manifest presence of God will be experienced when we pray and fast. When the church engages this age-old biblical principle, then the church will wake up and begin to stand up in our culture. As a church, God has called us to be an influence in Craigavon and beyond. But we can't do that without his power. And we can't receive his power without prayer and fasting. And so I ask that you would join me this week in praying and fasting for breakthrough in your own life, in our church, in our community, and in our world.